everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast with Bonnie. What, Bonnie, what's your middle name? Gail. Bonnie Gail Lewis. Yep. Timothy John <laughs> Stafford. And yours truly, Michael Carl Erie. And what would be great is I feel like a guy named Carl would marry a woman named Gail. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? I mean, if those yeah. are the first names... I think that has I think that has potential. Like I think Otherwise, I could go for a, like I could be someone could call me Gail. Someone could call you Tim John and I think both of those would pass, but I don't think anyone would believe it if I said your name was Carl. Really? Yeah. You don't seem like a Carl. You don't. Well, I well, Carl was my dad and my grandpa and Nate's middle name now, so it's kind of like it's here, guys. It here. It's here. It's not going anywhere. It's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. So Michael Carl, which is um, I don't know if you're if you're a Walking Dead. I was gonna say fan, Carl. Yes, Carl. you know that Carl gets pronounced a very specific way in those episodes. So uh, anyway, welcome to the show. Glad you're tuning in. Hey, we've got a couple of announcements. Um, uh, some things you actually need to pull out a calendar for. We're kind of excited about. The first thing is October 18th, we, by we, we are the Vox Podcast, we are hosting uh, a conversation called Heated. This was something Bonnie had hosted in May. And with it's in- who? Who did I? With, with Tim Gombas. Oh, that's right. But see, but see <laughs> I discovered him. He was on no one's radar and, <laughs> until I said to Brenda, hey, you need to really- because I referenced him on the podcast. I'm just saying, Bonnie, you can claim friendship, but <laughs> I I started it. Okay. And Mike so has a finder's fee. I get a finder's <laughs> fee, absolutely, for Gombas. There you now, go. So, um, so you did this thing with Gombas. And, and hey, who, who put all of you in touch with each other? You're right. It who was you. That? It was you, the great connector. That's all. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. I'm a big <laughs> constellation of stars connecting. Now, um, but we're doing this uh, heated conversation. It's called Why We Changed Our Mind. And it is he, the purpose of heated is to have, um, a, a, you know, civil, great conversation around very heated topics. And so uh, women in ministry and what the role of women is and what's the Bible say and all of that sort of thing has kind of been the focus. And so we're coming in um, to talk about why we've changed our minds. Bonnie and I both started from a kind of conservative inherited sort of complementarian background yep and uh, and why we why we've uh, changed so we're looking forward to that bonnie where is it give me some deets yeah so it's uh friday october 18th at 7 p.m and um it's in costa mesa so if it's at the new um it's like at this really great working space and so it, field work field work yep exactly and they have a new building though so you need to make sure I think this is one of their first events in the new building. Yeah, yeah. So um, if you go on to Facebook and find Heated Conversations, you can find it there. It's also on Eventbrite. So if you want to um, kind of search for it on there if you're not on Facebook. But um, it should be really good. And also there's going to be songs like music from Kristen Howerton at the end. And then also beverages, food and beverages. So it should be fun. And it's totally free. They just want you to RSVP That's so the they key. know That's the key. who's coming. But it's free. That's it. Freeze the key, RSVP. Yeah, you know me. All right. Perfect. And then, <laughs> and then a week later, um, the Vox podcast is hosting or co-hosting with Fieldwork again. 
um, something called Q Commons. And Q is an organization that um, hosts sort of TED Talk-like uh, they're actually nine minutes long, pr primarily from a Christian perspective, but not exclusively. Mm -hmm. And Q Commons is where there are these satellite regions all across the country, and they typically have three national speakers that every you know satellite location everywhere is hitting, and then there are three local speakers that are speaking about some you know topic locally relevant to the people that are there. And, um, and so I happen to be one of the local speakers. I think it's Francis Chan, Rebecca Lyons, and um, it's not Seth Malcolm Godin. Gladwell. It's Malcolm Malcolm, yes. Uh, those are the national ones. But anyway, I invite you to check that out. Tim, give me some deets on that one. Thursday, October 24th from 7 to 9 p.m. And we have you can go on the Q Commons website, and you'll see a Costa Mesa link that you can register at to attend. We also have it in our bio link of our Instagram, which is just Boom. Fox Podcast. And that also, because we're helping to sponsor, that is free. Uh, but awesome. we need RSVPs. Yeah. I mean, we're, hey, we're all about free. Um, uh, that Four of my favorite letters work to spell free. And so we're very happy about that. Anyway, <laughs> we, wanna, we want to let you know about that. We're actually... Uh, doing a couple things in Southern California. Uh, also, um, we are we are grateful for um, the the liking, subscribing, and rating that you do. I know we talk about this all the time, but it's super appreciated. And um, and and we also want you to know, lastly, that um, Vox is funded entirely by donations from like-minded listeners like you that find this to be a safe place. We're a 501c3 nonprofit community. And if you go to voxpodcast.com, there are two ways uh, to participate with us. One is through something called Patreon. We explained that last episode. It's giving levels and thank yous. Um, and there's another thing called Tithely, which is much more kind of if you consider uh, the podcast kind of your spiritual home for this season of your life. Uh, we encourage you to go to voxpodcast.com and for as little as five bucks a month, we deeply appreciate your support and, and everything. Timothy, I know you care about this because you are a financial planner. Everything <laughs> is tax deductible. So hallelujah. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen. All right. So we got some listener feedback before we get into today's interview with uh, Sky Jathani, who we love and adore. And his name is Sky um, go ahead and, uh, and Bonnie, you got any, you got anything for us? We're just going to do, we're going to check in here on the review page on the interweb <laughs> emails. Tim, are you got anything to add to this conversation? <laughs> I didn't know. I wasn't sure. I, uh, I, I perused our, um, social media accounts for comments, but there's lots of big ones. The last Gombus episode stirred up a lot of. Mm. thoughts so it's less reactionary and more like what <laughs> there you go yeah the gompus episode that was that was something though and anytime you can drop a podcast at two hours and 20 minutes <laughs> yeah you're like oh my goodness so um all right so bonnie what yep. do we got okay what do we got this is do a... we have is do we have more tim reviews yeah do we have we more do. bonnie reviews we have, you know what um, they're pretty, um, across the board, but Tim came up aces. Okay. So this right, one perfect. is five stars says Mike, Bonnie and Tim and the guests that they have on really stretch and bolster my faith in Christ. 
I look forward to listening weekly. I've gone back and listened to many of the back episodes as well because Mike and company really embody grace and truth. They are Aww. real people and help me put my faith into action. That's Thanks, so nice. Mom. <laughs> I appreciate that. This next, I think Nate Erie left a review. You know what? I think he did. And there is one that says definitely not Nate Erie. <laughs> so I don't know anyone but Nate Erie, and he wrote, yeah. "Mike sounds handsome." <laughs> perfect but that one perfect. okay um this next one is also five stars and it just says five stars because of tim done boom done done um, there you go tim that's your validated. eternal reward yep this person said five stars i'm grateful for all of you this podcast is awesome you are all amazing you make me laugh cry Episode 213, Mike, thank you for sharing and being open. And I occasionally learn a thing or two. Hey. Grateful for the work you do. Oh, thank you. Man, this is, see, that, that's so, it's so helpful in keeping our podcast discoverable, but it's encouraging to us also. Yeah. So thank you for that. Wonderful. You also, I think, have some feedback for us, right, via the, uh, the interwebs. You want to go over some of that? You mean uh, the emails? Yep. Sure thing. Um, so we got a few in, and they were uh, – let me find them right here. Sorry. Um, oh, we got more than a few. <laughs> these are just – Oh, my goodness. The, I'm sure we did. Okay. Um, okay, here's a good one. Uh, in episode 214, you referred to people in the following manner. Quote, if you're bipolar, if you're schizophrenic. The common vernacular in our culture when speaking about mental illness is to label the person as their illness. But mm. I, nor you, would never refer to someone with cancer as a cancer. Cancer may mm -hmm. be a part of their mm -hmm. life, but it does not define them. To truly remove stigma mm -hmm. from mental illness, we need to change the way we talk, think, and act. And this starts with our words. P.S. Okay. I know you meant zero ill will. true but i think that's a great point yeah it's like yeah. um when people talk about seth do they talk about him as a boy with down syndrome or do they just talk about a down syndrome boy do you know what i mean like yeah. the, to yeah. me that feels vastly vastly different it's me it is you absolutely and um and so i think that's a really good point yeah yeah it's a great point i have a friend great. who's a a therapist and she said or he said too, he doesn't, when he talks about someone taking their own life, he doesn't say they committed suicide. He's like, because if you think about it, we use that, they committed a sin, they committed a crime, and it puts hmm. this this um, stigma on it. He's like, so hmm. I always say they took their own life. That's very different than like committing hmm. something. So it's just hmm. interesting to think about the way we say things. So that was really good feedback. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Whoever that is, thank you very much. Um, okay, so next one says, um, I really resonated with a point Mike made about hating to be weak or come off as weak. As someone who struggles with depression, it is much easier for me to put my focus on others, and I really struggle with having to ask for help. I don't think I struggle necessarily with coming off as weak, but when I open mm. up about when I am in a really bad spot, I fear that people will and have seen this to be the case walk on eggshells mm. around me. It mm -hmm. also hinders me from being able to help them, which is what I feel a large part of my calling to be. 
Thankfully, I have a few people in mentorship positions that I can go to and a handful of really close friends where it is more equal relationship. So this is not a problem. But I struggle. um, But I struggled with that. I am only to be open and vulnerable with just these people. Or Mm. can I do so with everyone? I'm quite Mm. vocal about having depression and have seen much fruit come from others confiding in me and being able to help them. But there's also Mm. a difference between saying I have depression and my depression is really bad right now in terms of this issue. Mm -hmm. I want to Mm -hmm. maintain openness and vulnerability, but I don't want to see this to see this weakness cause people to not feel like they can be open and honest with me in return. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, man, first of all, I totally get that in the sense of like, I'm okay struggling like in like, I mean, I'm, I'm okay having struggled in the past. Right. Struggling currently is a whole different, whole different ball game. Yeah. And, and so I think that's like an excellent, point there's a sense in which there are people who can be in real time with you mm-hmm. as you're working through this stuff but those those friendships have to be um really really unique and safe mm-hmm. um and then the the larger context is they don't y- y- people aren't in real time with you and so you can talk about well the last six months has been really hard or mm-hmm. you know the last couple of years or whatever it is so i think that's i think that's pretty good wisdom what do you guys think yeah, I think it's wise. I think anytime you're going through anything, you should have – it's a good boundary to set to know who are the safe people and who aren't. Um, mm-hmm. And that probably if – if I, I, I don't even know if when you're super struggling, if that's a time that you wa- want to reach out and help someone anyway. But instead of time that you should um, – like we should all get better at receiving help at that time, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely uh, often feel burdensome on others, and so you—it's hard to—it's hard to tout your, or it's hard to wear your weakness on your sleeve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I don't want to make my wife feel like she's raising three kids. And for the record, we have two kids. <laughs> <I'm trying. laughs> I don't want to make her feel. You know, that's that, those are the thoughts go through your right. head. Like, well, I don't want to. She's, yep. she's my safe place and I don't want to, but then you have that thing that's like, I don't want to burden her. I don't want to weigh her down with this. I'm weak. She's strong, blah, blah, blah. That's, oh, that's totally. so funny. That's how Sai is too. But I would say I'm the opposite. Like if I'm struggling, I'm like so loud and clear about it to Sai. I'm like, stop what you're doing. <laughs> I need help. Mm-hmm. So I think I I'm probably that. loud and clear about it. Even when I think I'm being uh, quiet about it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think she's in tune to it and she knows it before I'm like, ah, yeah, that's fair. Now it's it's a really tough thing because because on the one hand, you don't want to work out your issues in some narcissistic sort of like um, demand that the world stop and you know revolve around you for a bit, and yet you know you don't want to work out your issues publicly, and yet there there are times where you know you really need some people in there with you. It's a mm-hmm. tough kind of a tough balance to find, and I think. That in public, if if there's you know social media sort of changes all of this, that there are times when it's when putting a call out for help is a massively important thing, right? Um, and and easier to do on social media than on a one-on-one basis. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. in a sense of saying, hey, I'm really struggling. Could you guys pray? 
is way easier than feeling like Sean is now raising three kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Yep. So I can see. So anyway, I think that's, I think, I think though that's two really good pieces of feedback. Yeah. You know, was there, was there a question? The last, the last sentence, was that a, um, I, I missed it. Was oh, that a question? was that a question? Um, I think he just wanted, um, oops, where is it? Um, he just, I think he, no, there was no question. He was just sharing, okay. like, what are the boundaries and how can I do that well? You are doing it well. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. Because there is power in being public about the struggle, but I don't think that means you have to have everybody current right. in, in how you talk about it. Yep. Agreed. You know what I mean? No, I think that's really Agreed. good. All right. Any Anything else, Bonnie? Well, there's one more. Um, oh, okay. Let's go. Okay. Let's do it. Hello. I have been enjoying your podcast. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi. For the past several months. <laughs> and I want to thank you for producing such insightful discussions on current hot topics in Christianity. I have a suggestion. Perhaps more information can be included in the show notes for each episode. For example, in the mm. recent Vox Minis, why or what are your favorite books? I would have found it helpful to see the list of books mentioned. I listened while ah. driving and I couldn't write it. Well, we didn't know. We didn't know what they were going to be I know. until we recorded. I know, and I need to do it. I already told someone on social media I would do it, and I didn't do it. So I'll do it. I'll write it down Bonnie. for everybody. I know. Bonnie. This is, this is a confessional booth. And so I confess I didn't do it, and I will. Um, oh, no. But also, right. good job to this person for not writing while driving. Um, consequently, <laughs> I will now need to listen a second time. To note the book that's titles. That's our plan. That's our plan all along. <laughs> Not that I get more listens. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Not that I didn't enjoy hearing your voices, but it would save me some time if there were more details yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, I don't. Uh, and again, it's it. This I don't even. I don't even. It doesn't even register in my brain. So I need help uh, to be reminded, like resources and stuff that we mentioned should be like mentioned. Yeah. Because the show notes are just the the words we put under the, like on the like podcast, when I, like what when it's I about. upload it, the show notes, so it can be as long as whatever. I mean, it doesn't have to be short, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. Sorry, we're processing in real time. All right. That, I think. I think that's great a fair pieces point. Pieces of feedback. Yep. That's a fair point. I think they're all fair points. Excellent. Uh, and and again, one of the reasons why we read this stuff on air is we're just honored that you would give us your thoughts and opinions. We want to hear them. Today, uh, my buddy Sky and I are going to have a conversation about a piece of um, a piece, a article. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say piece of literature, but then I was like, well, I, I mean, it was well written, but I don't know that it was a piece of literature. <laughs> um, an article that he wrote uh, inviting people to rethink the sermon. So kind of rethinking sermon-centric church. Oh, and, interesting. And, um, and, and that was something, Bonnie, you know, we wrestled with at Vox mm -hmm. Community in Orange County was, okay, if you have other means of dispensing information, is there still a compelling reason for people to gather? Um, and uh, I think our, our, our answer, our experience was absolutely there is. Um, and I think Sky has very similar similar thoughts. Cool. So um, we're going to have a great conversation about that. We're not going to do an outro just because these these are sort of topics we've hit a lot before, um, and we're all still recovering from Gombas. Yeah. <laughs> and 
So, so we're going to do, we're just a church. It's kind of a church culture thing. And then, oh my goodness, we'll pick up the pieces of our faith and, and, and see what happens. Um, I have been, I have been really wonderfully pleased with the response of our community that that's just that even if there's a I'm not sure I buy this right um behind that there's this like oh I really need to wrestle mm-hmm. through this and and anyway I just I, I just am so I've said it before a thousand times but I'm just so grateful for a, a scholar who's willing to sort of process out loud with us yeah you know absolutely. what I mean yeah so anyway, people, it's been picking up for on Facebook, especially um, if you guys are not following us on Facebook and I and this is not as a social media plug, but just that's where people are having conversations even outside of us. We try to pipe in there, too, but there's a lot of people mining through these topics and having conversations with each other. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We have two Facebook groups. One is for Patreon supporters. And then one is kind of our like the Vo- the Vox podcast page. Yeah. And and great stuff is on both. Yep. So you can't go wrong. And then then Bonnie's sort of the Instagram princess. <laughs> I am uh, the king of all media related to Twitter. Um, and by that I simply mean <laughs> I look at Twitter, um, <laughs> and I try to think of interesting things to tweet, and then I always go, Nah, that's dumb. That's boring. Who cares? <laughs> And uh, th- th- thus is the life of a Gen Xer who's like, well, you know, what, what do I really spend my days thinking about? Um, let's see. What should I get for a bathroom floor? Should I, should I go vinyl? Should I do laminate? Probably not hardwood, you know. Um, right? Those are the things. Who's, who wants to tweet at Home Depot like, hey, guys, I got some really sweet vinyl flooring for, <laughs> you, you know. It's just nothing. No, I yeah, I should. I should. I should totally do that. You yes. should. You know what you should see. do is you should live Instagram every day for just like five minutes, whatever you're doing, and just be like, live with Mike at Home Depot. And everyone's like, live oh, with Mike what at- is this? And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I am mowing the yard. tuning in. Yeah, just give, give everybody a little That's like, some, like a little John peek. Mayer used to do things like that. And like one time he got this like teriyaki bowl and it had like those crunchies on the top. So he spent 20 minutes taking the crunchies out with a chopstick and it, <laughs> he didn't even say anything. And like it like broke the internet. All these people just like were mesmerized and watched it, which is a little sad. <laughs> Yeah, but he's actually interesting, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's kind of the troubadour vibe. I mean, come on, that's you know. Do you want to see you want to see a chunky guy play with his food? You don't. <laughs> you don't. You know, I wouldn't spend twenty minutes picking anything out. It's either it's in the it's in the trash or it's in the belly. <laughs> belly. <Jeez. laughs> All right. So anyway, ladies and gentlemen, here is our friend Sky. Hope you enjoy the interview. Hey guys, Mike here with my friend Sky. Um, Sky and I go back years and years and years, but have uh, re-engaged with each other um, after. Let's see. I think you. Well, you were podcasting way before I was, right? How long's Holy Post been around? Uh, we started in 2012. Okay. Back when podcasting was in its embryonic, uh, you know. Pr- protoplasmic <laughs> pre-evolutionary stage we're you were amino, the primordial soup acids. yes exactly. we were just amino acids in the primordial soup waiting for the lightning to strike why now why did you start 
I mean, that, um, that, that so, you were super early on that. Yeah, uh, not by any intention. Perfect. It wasn't like we, we saw the horizon and the future was going to be <laughs> podcasting. We had this foresight to jump on board. So the real story is um, Phil wanted to start, Phil Vischer wanted to start a, a TV talk show. Oh. And so he had this studio space where he records his puppets and, and vegetables and things that he does. And he and I have been friends for years and we were out to lunch one day and he tells me he wants to, he really wants a Christian talk show. And he didn't, he didn't oh, know if nice. it would be an internet based thing or it would be picked up by some Christian network somewhere, but he wanted mm -hmm. to do this and, and film a couple of pilot episodes so that he could shop it around and see if anybody was interested. So he took his studio space and he converted it into a set and he built it all himself. Oh, wow. like it's, if you've ever seen a picture of our set, like he did all of that himself. It had an audience section, everything. And we actually filmed a couple of episodes of mm. the Phil Vischer show, this talk mm. show. Mm. Believe it or not, the very first guest was Eric Metaxas. No. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. Anyway, because he used to work for VeggieTales for, for Phil. and Big He Idea. did not. He did. Yeah. Back in the day. Oh, wow. Anyway, Phil's telling me this idea over lunch about wanting to do this talk show, and he wants to be a talk show host and do his thing. And he said, I'd like you to be on the show. And I said, of course, yeah, I'd be happy to be a guest. And he's like, no, 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 I want you to be on every show, like his Ed McMahon or his Andy Richter yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like He wants yeah. me to be his, his sidekick. And I was like, whatever, fine. I, I sounds like fun. Um, so we filmed, I don't know, four or five pilot episodes, but um, – Christian Taylor, who's our third co-host mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. most of the episodes, she was helping Phil produce this. She was his wrangler. She's incredibly wow. gifted at that. And she, I think it was her idea or maybe, I don't know, but somebody said, hey, while we have these guests coming into town to film the TV show, we should record some audio conversations with them and just put out a podcast oh, to so market the show. Right. And that's how it started. But of course, the TV show went nowhere right. and the Phil Vischer podcast found an audience and yes. so what I thought was just going to be a short-term little throwaway side project that I do during lunch um, <laughs> just took on a life of its own and that's where it all began and we and we had a ton of fun doing everybody was listening we did no marketing we had no intentionality behind it yeah. but because of my Rolodex uh, from my days at Christianity today and Phil's access to people in the Christian media world we realized oh we we could get some interesting people on here mm-hmm um, and that's where it all started. Who, who's been the most interesting guest that you've had on for you in the last, I don't know, six months? Oh, that's hard. I can't. I, I, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, John Fia, he's a history professor at Messiah, I believe. Mm. He's the guy who wrote the book, Believe Me, The Evangelical Road to Donald Trump. Mm. We've had him on a couple times. I, I'm a, I was a history major at Miami where you and I both went. I love oh, history. Yes. I, I just, I feel like that context helps explain so much. And John's been brilliant at helping to give historical context for where we are as um, particularly the white evangelical movement and politics today and explaining the craziness of that. That's been super helpful. Um, I, da, 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 da. I'm trying to think of another there's just there's too many for yeah, me to let's like fine. pick that's your fine. favorite child right but yeah that, that's what we I'll, I'll give you a preview in november Come we're on. having nt right nt right back on the podcast You're, <laughs> you are a dirty dog what do i sky what do i have to do do i have to personally 
like take out Phil's kneecaps so that I can sneak in and be in the studio for that no, podcast? In what fact, do I need all you to do? To, all you have to do is get yourself to Chicago. And uh, okay. And you, you are welcome to come in and join us. And talk? Yeah. I'll, maybe not on the air. We'll, we'll edit you oh, out. But... Oh, come on. <laughs> Come on, Sky. You could be the Patreon bonus. No, I'm joking. Uh, uh, no, that's so the fun. Details, the details have not yet been determined, but uh, the interview will happen either on November 18th or 19th. Is he in town? So is that is that how he will be in town? In? Yeah, yeah. We, will, we will have him in person again. See, he's not he's not coming through Columbus, Ohio, much, which is not a great place for in in. <laughs> you know in studio really? guests that, that, I know. Citad that citadel of theology <laughs> so you've got an app i just had one of my friends say they love your app you have the yeah. devotional and the yeah. devotionals in the app that's right with and, god daily yeah with god daily and then are you working on like books and stuff i am uh, i just turned in a manuscript to moody publishing for uh, a, a devotional book on the sermon on the mount that sounds really dumb. I'm not going to yeah. lie. That's Well, the funny thing is it is kind of dumb because No, it, I'm just teasing. It it's all it's mostly pictures. <laughs> it's a lot of doodles. Oh, your drawings? Uh, yeah, so oh, we're taking like the series that we did in with God Daily and I've kind of updated and tweaked it including the drawings. God. And it. the book is going to come out I think in the spring and it's called uh What if Jesus was serious? Oh, I like that. And Look then there's go. another book I'd like to, I, I, I'm starting, I have a big stack of books that I'm reading right now as research for the next book I really hope to write, which um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a contract on that. I don't know if it's going to get published. It's just kind of a passion project of mine, a little bit more autobiographical, mm. uh, just wrestling with the what song of be. songs of sky. The song of sky. <laughs> yeah. It's all my love poetry. Yes. Sorry. Um, go ahead. Uh, probably more a book around what does it really mean to be a Christian American today, given Ooh. Uh, the the plurality of religious views, the the pluralism of our society, the post-Christian realities of it, the fact that I come from an immigrant family background and kind of the crap that I've seen in the mm. church. Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of formulating right now. I expect it'll take me six or nine months to get my head around that. Nice. Just so in those time. are the projects. Okay, yeah. that's pretty good. What's up? And, and I'm, I may be the only one that cares about this, but but since you and I are talking this question will get asked what's like your typical daily schedule for managing <laughs> all of that content um in broad okay. swaths in broad swaths so i i'm usually up between 6 and 6 30 every morning okay uh i spend the first hour reading news and uh I, you know looking at my email and is there a shower in there no not yet okay perfect no so this is kind of i mean i'm in a bathrobe on a sofa with a cup That's of tea what I'm looking for. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, so 7.30. And I've been pretty good at this this year. At 7.30, uh, I go into my office and I write a devotional. Okay. Uh, and you I have those planned out. I have them sketched out. In fact, you can see like uh, when I, I'm so old school. Um, where is it's it? because we're I old. A, I have a piece of paper. Here it is. Um, since we're on Skype and or Zoom, like I have a whole month calendar printed out. Oh, that's and, and I will write out what the devotional is going to be those days, the scripture references, everything. So I, I, I write for an hour from 7.30 to 8.30. 8.30 then, I will either exercise, go for a run, go work out, or um, depending on my schedule, or I'll just take a shower and get ready for the day okay. after I've written. All right. Um, 
then the rest of the day, it depends what's going on. So Mondays, it's a lot of podcasting. Other days, it's reading and research. Uh, when I was working on the, the devotional book, I would spend the middle chunk of my day uh, writing. Other days, I try to put all my meetings in one day, so mm-hmm. for folks I have to connect with. Um, if I'm traveling, that throws everything else. You know, it's just I, I really yeah. like the fact that most of my days after 10 a.m., very like things change a lot depending on what i'm up to and what i have on my now uh, one thing one thing i noticed in that schedule is is there was not an hour for bible reading and prayer and i just want to i mean Uh i just i i just want to point out that um i don't know if you're trustworthy uh to write (laughs) devotionals if you haven't spent that time yeah yeah, uh, there is that time. So I'm kidding. Uh, no, I'm kidding. No, 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 really. It's it, I think it's a great it's a great question because I think it's a it's a good discipline to actually segregate a time for, for doing that. But uh, I think it's actually more important where I am in my life and work and calling to integrate that throughout my day. Oh, so uh, oh. when I sit down to write a devotional, that sounds begins, new age. I know it sounds sounds crystally uh when i sit down to write my devotional it, that process begins with prayer yeah um so the idea of a quiet time is no, great i mean I'm goodness you. i'm writing a devotional so people can start their days that way right um so i i totally value that but um i no, might I, it might take me 15 or 20 minutes to actually physically you know put out the devotional to write that content but i i've scheduled an hour for it i'll use the rest of that 40 minutes for my own Bible engagement prayer that's so it, it isn't like that hour of time for the devotional is not just writing. It is right. study. It is reflecting. It's all this. So look at you go. Look at me go. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the day. That's a great day. Now during those days you put out fairly nefarious content like the articles, the article that I'm about to, um, to refer to, uh, Premier Christianity put out earlier this week, and and um, what was the title of it? I just have the article in front of me. It was like, uh, good question. It's it's uh, sermon sermon centric Christianity away from sermon centric Christianity. Yeah, uh, shoot. Because I just have the text of it. I'm sorry. I should have had that handy. I, I it's coming up. It's coming up. My signal is slow. Yeah. You know, I've been a magazine editor like. I don't know what title I gave it as the author, but the editors always change those things. Oh, um, got it, got it. Or they have the right to change those things. By the way, and you know this, you've written books. Like I've most books. most authors do not have the right to determine the title of their book. It's Oh, don't, don't I know it. <laughs> I, uh, have, the title... I have some of the worst titled books in the history of the world. But yes, go ahead. Oh, don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, the, title, the title is The Case Against Sermon-Centric Sundays. Yes! All right, Which I Scott. Like, I like the alliteration of that. As a yeah. preacher, I like the alliteration. Yeah, you got some S's in there and three points. Um, let's go into, I, I thought it was super interesting, and it was, it's been super interesting to see some of the reaction you've gotten. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll get to that in a second. But let's, if you would just kind of summarize, what, what do you mean by sermon-centric Christianity, first of all? Mm-hmm. And then why does that need to be reexamined? Okay, good, good, good start. Um, sermon-centric Sunday or sermon-centric Christianity is simply the idea that the sermon is the main event. Yes. That the act of a 
lecture monologuing for 30 or 40 minutes at the single largest gathering of the local church mm-hmm. is the high pinnacle point of the ministry and of our weekly rhythms of Christian life together. Um, that is pretty much the case in almost every Protestant church, definitely American evangelical Protestant church. So, and it isn't just, it isn't just the fact that our attention is focused on that preacher for 30 or 40 minutes. It's the resources that surround. That's it. That's it. Yes. So physical resources, like when you, when you step into a sanctuary of a church, the pulpit is where all the chairs are facing or, the fact that we need this building to listen to somebody monologue for this long, the fact that we construct our children's ministries around freeing up the parents so that they can listen to this happen. Right. And so the budget of the church and the, the staffing, the resources, the money, uh, in some cases it's 50 to 80% of church resources, time, money, space, all of that yeah. is all uh, bolstering the sermon itself. Right. right? The event yeah. around it. Right. Or the fact that you hire somebody as a pastor or preacher and you pay their salary so that 50 or 80% of their time can be spent studying and writing sermons. Right. right? I mean, it's just an enormously uh, expensive model of ministry. And I'm not saying it's the wrong model. I'm simply saying, should we rethink that model based on its based on the data of its effectiveness at actually forming disciples of Jesus? Ooh, and and do we have data? I mean, is we there, do have is some. There, okay, we, it depends on where you look. Like, I think you can split the data into two categories. One is this is the dominant model of ministry in North America, no yep, question by, by far. You can look at how effective is our ministry model at making disciples. There's loads of data from Barna and Lifeway Mm -hmm. and others on that. The other set of data is more secular data, which is simply uh, enormous amounts of research that has been done for decades on how people learn. Mm. How do people learn and integrate, integrate ideas and truths into their lives and practice? And how effective is large group monologue? It's the most effective. (laughs) by far. So I think when you take those two categories of data and bring them together, you can make an argument for or against the value of a sermon-centric discipleship model. Yes. But Jesus preached sermons. Yeah. So if if it's good enough for him, why is why wouldn't it be good enough for us, Sky? Well, I think you could you could argue that he probably did not put 80% of his <laughs> of his energy and resources into preaching sermons. That's number 1, but number 2, uh, we also, and this is where the article is more specific. Yes. We have to look at our current context in time and history. And what resources has God made available to us to fulfill our mission of making disciples? And the case I try to make in this article is that the, the primary reason why we have sermon-centric Sundays is because of the tradition we inherited 500 years ago from the Protestant Reformation. Mm. And I think 500 years ago, the model made more sense than Why? it does today. Well, okay. So what was true back then? That's no longer true. Uh, the most significant thing that was true back then, which is no longer true, at least in our context was literacy. Mm. There were, there were incredibly few people who had the ability to read and study. Yeah. And therefore you handed a Bible to the most educated guy in town. And of course it was always a guy. Was a back guy. Then. Totally. Um, you hand the Bible to the most educated guy in town and you tell him, Hey, you study this 
and then teach us what it says because mm -hmm. we can't study it ourselves and we will show up every week to hear you teach it to us. That makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, the question is today, is that still the right vehicle for teaching scripture? And we can get into some of the pushback I've gotten from this article, but one of the mm -hmm. things that I think mm -hmm. the critics are, um, one of the mistakes they're making is they are conflating preaching and teaching. Oh, come on. All right. And so what do you mean when you say preaching versus what do you mean when you say teaching? So, I mean, you know, you're Greek. Uh, the, the, the Greek word for preaching means to proclaim or to announce. Right. Right. So Jesus came preaching or announcing the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or the disciples preached that Jesus had risen from the dead. Right. They mm -hmm. had proclaimed this truth. Um, that's very different than teaching, didasco, which is to become proficient with a set of knowledge to the point where it changes the way you act. Yeah. Right. Yep. So the analogy I've, I've given in the past is uh, I, I travel a lot. So when you're in the airport and there's an announcement over the loudspeaker that, you know, flight flight 500 from Columbus has landed. That's yes. Pre that's preaching, right? It's an announcement of this right. thing has happened. Right. Actually understanding the lift and drag and aeronautic physics that allowed that plane to land and becoming proficient in landing an aircraft yourself is not preaching that is mm. teaching right come on going to pilot school that's teaching or learning it's not an announcement and so we i mean when i was on staff at my church my title was teaching pastor mm -hmm. but most of what i did was preaching hmm. and so we conflate these things all the time and i would argue that most of what happens on sunday mornings in sermon-centric churches is not preaching mm. most of what happens is an attempt at teaching Okay. So, because what, what we tend to do is we're not standing up there announcing the gospel unless we're doing an evangelistic crusade of some kind, right? Mm -hmm. We are up there opening up the scriptures and teaching people what is in the Bible and trying to apply that to their lives. Correct. And the data is overwhelming that a large group monologue lecture is a terrible model of teaching. That's why we use so, it. So, that's why, right? So, yes. Jesus, I think this is one of the more interesting uh, ways of differentiating preaching and teaching. Very, very early in his public ministry, Jesus calls the disciples to himself, mm -hmm. and then he sends them out in, in pairs, right, to all the villages and towns of Judea, and he tells them, go and preach. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is here, right? Yeah. Now, yeah. think about these guys. These were guys who didn't know Jack, right? They, <laughs> they still were not clear on who Jesus was, <laughs> no. right? They no. no Trinitarian theology. No Trinitarian theology. They had no all. They had no idea the theology that right. they they were still arguing with Jesus about going to Jerusalem and he's going to die on the cross. Like they had, they were clueless, and yet Jesus sends them out to preach. How could he do that? Because they were just announcing. They were just announcing. They were announcing what they had seen and experienced. Yes. Right. Hey, this guy has shown up, and the signs that are with him indicate the kingdom of God is here. Right. Yes. It's not until after the resurrection that he gives them the command to go and make disciples, teaching them all that I have commanded. Hmm. So teaching requires proficiency of knowledge. And, hmm. and this is why Paul says not many should desire to be teachers because they will be held accountable. They'll be judged for. It. But frankly, any idiot can preach. Yeah. Any idiot can preach who has experienced the reality of God. Or hasn't. 
or has, or as Paul says, like even those who are against yes. him when he's in prison in Philippi are preaching yeah. Jesus because they didn't realize they're, they're expanding the message of the kingdom by their uh, sarcasm and derision. So <laughs> um, I, am, I am simply saying that a sermon, the way most churches employ it today, is meant to be a vehicle of teaching. Yes. And it's a really poor vehicle. Because of the the formative aspects of it, right? We're not seeing fruit from sermon-centric right. churches and the fact that this is the least effective way for somebody to learn. Right. So, it, the, so if we're if we're teaching, the goal is learning, and this is the least effective way to learn, right? That's, right. If okay. we're preaching and the goal is to inform people of an announcement, then right. by all means, gather 20,000 and say, hey, I got news. I got to tell yes. you something. Yes. But that's preaching. That's not teaching. Oh. So... Uh, then the next question is, okay, what tools are then available to us today to teach mm-hmm. that we are not effectively employing in our mission of making disciples who obey everything Jesus commanded? And I would argue that the allocation of 50 to 80% of most churches' resources around a sermon designed to teach mm-hmm. is ineffective when there are other resources that we could be employing. And if we remove the sermon from its predominant yeah. uh place on sunday morning what should be there exactly and and that's open to all kinds of discussion and ideas i just what what gratifies me is not that somebody agrees with my idea of what the church should look like on sunday what gratifies me is that they're even having this conversation Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. are they thinking what's a faithful stewardship of what god has entrusted to us and what are the most effective ways of of making disciples in our context with the tools available to us right right so, so do you feel like part of the reason for this sermon centric and, and I've, I mean, you know, this is what I do. This is like, me too. Uh, this is, uh, this is how I've done church, you know? And, 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 and in some cases it's been uh, mitigated well by other factors. So you put the sermon up front and you have a response time after, you know, there are other things you can do to sort of dethrone the sermon, but in our imaginations, it, it still is, you know. And so, right. so the, the big question, well, okay. What's some of the pushback you've gotten before we go to the big question? What, what's some of the, there was a, I saw an article written by our friends at the gospel coalition. Um, and, and I, I would love to just go through it really quickly because, <laughs> <laughs> he he totally is talking about preaching. He does not he doesn't even use the yeah. word teaching. It's all preaching. Yeah, I skimmed his um categories by having had time. It just came this morning, I think. So I haven't had yes. time to read it. I just saw the major uh arguments. But oh okay. Yeah, well, go me, ahead. Go go through me, what you think are his points. Let's let's go, baby. Preaching is the glorious means by which the spirit saves and sanctifies sinners the method by which the Lord builds his church. So how could Paul refer to it as foolishness or folly? He does it because, uh, and, and he says, here's what's surprising. Christians have sometimes viewed preaching the same way as foolishness. That should be abolished. Freaking sky. So um, Paul does not say preaching is foolishness. He says what he's preaching is foolishness. Come on. 
right? Come the on. message he's preaching is what's foolishness, not the mode by which he's, I mean, preaching was incredibly common in the ancient world. <laughs> totally. Right. This is why when he goes to Athens, he's on Mars Hill and he's, you know, I'm so glad you picked up on that. I didn't want to tee it up too much. No, it's, it's so it's the difference between message and medium, right? Right. I'm, right. I'm saying I'm not in any way saying the message needs to be rethought. Right. And, and here's the other um, mistake that uh, critics of my article, I think, have made is they assume I'm saying we don't need to teach the Bible. Right. Absolutely not. I, we need more. I mean, all the evidence I've seen shows that Americans are increasingly biblically illiterate and ignorant. We right. need more and better Bible teaching. I'm simply arguing a monologue to a large group on Sunday morning is an ineffective way of teaching it. So, and that's not preaching. Preaching is a totally, it's an announcement of the gospel. By all means, I think people ought to hear the gospel and respond to it. Yes. Um, so he talks about sermon substitutes, okay. um, drama, storytelling, music, interviews, art, videos, other new technology, the Eucharist and Lord's Supper. Um, uh, he quotes C.S. Lewis that about the horror of the same old thing. The fact that preaching is boring. Um, that, that, that is not an argument I make. because No, I, he's I, arguing I, for why preaching matters, why yeah. it's more important. And he's saying Christians are easily bored. We tend to lose confidence in methods that don't produce swift, measurable results. Um, often devilish activity focuses on messing with the preached word. So... Um, Surely a man, of course it's a man, standing before a gathered group preaching the Bible for 30 minutes to an hour each week cannot accomplish much, we're told. But therein lies the foolishness. A steady diet of Christ-centered, scripture-saturated, expositional preaching is exactly what sinners need to become more and more like Jesus. Which, which you know, kind of begs the question. Um, I, I, find that, I find that so interesting because, I mean, that's where I would agree with you and say... Well, we've had that, and I don't see a lot of Jesus floating around. You know, when I look at uh, evangelical Christianity. Well, and I think his argument is undermined by the fact that even, even churches that are heavily sermon-centric are desperately trying to get their people to do something other than just listen to a sermon. <laughs> right? We are desperately trying to get people into small groups. We're desperately trying to get them to study the Bible on their own during the week. We're desperately trying to get them to serve in some capacity. I, I think... Even really gifted preachers know that their sermons are not enough. You're right. Right? We, yes. we can all acknowledge. So the idea that if I just come on Sunday for 50 years and passively listen to really good Bible teaching, I will be sanctified. I know very few preachers who are going to say that that is a sufficient model of making Oh, cycle. man, you're so, you're, you're so on your game today, Sky. This is, it's disgusting that this poor schmo wrote this article. And is now running into the buzzsaw of your brain. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume his intentions are really good. Um, well, well, it should remain. Let me just let me just. Of course, of course, dude. And I'm being playful in the way I'm framing this. Just yeah, because you and I are gonna care a whole heck of a lot more about this than the vast majority of anybody. Um, but but I do think it has ripples, like for the future of the church, that are really really significant. So here are his arguments. The Bible bristles with preaching and preachers, and he quotes Moses and uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, we're conflating preaching and teaching yep. um, there. 
The preached word is God's ordained agent of transformation. And then he quotes Romans 10, of course. How were they going to hear without a preacher? I, but this is all about proclamation of the gospel. It's all about people. It's, a, it's essentially about evangelism. Right. Right? Yep. I, don't, I don't disagree. <laughs> I'm talking about the process of discipleship, of teaching people to obey all that Jesus commanded. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. So, I, yes, we need people who will proclaim the reality of the gospel and will announce the reality of the kingdom of God and will inform those who don't know about the message and way of Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. That's preaching. Yeah. It's not teaching. And I, again, would argue most of what is happening on Sunday morning in most evangelical churches in America is not preaching. It's an attempt at teaching the Bible. Right. And it's not an effective medium. Oh, all right. And then the last one, bro, this is this is good. Um, the otherworldly nature of the church is clearly seen in preaching. God calls his church to be unlike the world. The world should never be able to explain the church. Um, and as we gather to hear a book proclaimed that was written thousands of years ago, he designed uh, his ordinary means of grace or countercultural. He designed it this way, right? Which are just all assertions. I, I don't even know what the point is to say that we should dump preaching in favor of drama, video discussion, music, or anything else is to misunderstand the nature of the church and her work and in bringing in, us into his church. God calls us out of ourselves um, statistics show the American adult spends 10 hours a day connected to media. Our church is wise to accommodate that. Wouldn't it be better to call us away from our smartphones and tablets for two hours to hear yes. a word from the Lord? Yes, I totally agree with that. <laughs> I absolutely agree with that. Let's call our people away from tablets and phones. Let's get them off screens. Let's have them engage in incarnate community. Let's uh, have them form meaningful relationships with brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers in the faith. Let's have them serve one another. Let's have them read the word of God aloud to each other. Let's have them gather at the communion table, confess their sins, find absolution, encounter the presence of God through the word, through the table, through each other, through music. I am for all of that. Yes. I want to see, I would love to see uh, him or anyone else give me evidence that the model that we are currently employing is effectively leading people into a deeper communion with God and one another. Oh, I love you so much right so now. So if, if there's evidence out there that I haven't seen that shows the effectiveness of this, yeah. I'm all for it. Right. Um, and, and to his point, yeah, the church is to be a countercultural in some ways, foolish abnormality in our culture, but that doesn't mean we make it our mission to be abnormal, right? If, <laughs> if, because if it were, if it were, why, why are we doing our worship in English? Right. Right. Why not? Or with air conditioning or right. in or, buildings. Exactly. Like we, we could park just, places. I'm not, I have no way am I arguing that we should stop preaching because the culture doesn't like it. Right. I'm not saying we should change our sermon-centric model because it's not technologically savvy enough. Right. I absolutely abhor the idea of digital church. I think it's an oxymoron. Come on, right? preach, preach. I'm not, I'm not saying any of those things. I am, and I think he's right. Like the, the, the evidence is Americans, including those who attend church regularly, are engaging in astronomical amounts of media every day and every week. Yep. And I could pull it out, but there's enormous amount of stats that are showing the media people are consuming is shaping their views and lives far, far more 
than the theology of their churches or the messages they're hearing in their pastor's sermons. Yes. So that's the reality. Yep. And because we're pouring 80% of our resources into making a, a sermon on Sunday morning, we're not pouring energy and resources into helping disciples curate good content the hmm. rest of their week. Hmm. So, um, you know, it's a little bit like somebody who is dying from cancer and we're pouring 80% of our You know, yeah, the toothache is there and needs to be dealt with, but who cares if they're going to be dead in 30 days from the tumor that's growing inside of them, right? We got to deal right. with the presenting symptom. And the presenting symptom of our culture is people are saturated in media and the church is doing virtually nothing to help them curate or think Christianly about that. We're simply saying, show up on Sunday to hear me preach. And that's enough. And, puts, and that's enough. And that it's not enough. And most churches know it's not enough, but they're unwilling to monkey with the model for reasons we can get into if you want. Oh, Oh yes, I want. <laughs> oh yes. That, so so before, because my here's the question that's coming, and then we'll do. Um, if if we were going to plant a church, um, what would you do? Not this isn't the definitive word. This was a this isn't a you know, but like because the natural question is okay. Well, then what what do what's we the do alternative? Then? Right. Yeah. What's the alternative? So um, when. Okay, go ahead. No, no, you go. If you've seen people do it, because I know you reference Francis, yeah, um, in there. But but if let's say I, I want to make it personal to you. If, so let's say mm-hmm. you're planting a church, and you believe in all the things that you're believing in. Um, what's that? What's that look like? Well, first off, I would I would say there is no single model that mm-hmm. agreed should be prescribed. It depends entirely on your context, yep. right? Yep. So. Um, Agreed. My context is a North American, suburban, multi-ethnic, relatively well-resourced environment. And so what I would prescribe here is not going to be the same in, in a different context. So just yep. let that be. Yep. Um, first off, I would, I would probably bring together leaders who are mature and, and godly and discerning to create an online resource. Okay. That cur- that curates content, and De- together, define what that means. So, l- looking at everything that's out there in the world, whether the, it's videos, YouTube videos, podcasts, online Bible studies, Got it. Um, books, eBooks, whatever. There's just a huge mountain of resources out mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. apps, whatever. And together, spend a lot of time thinking through what. What, what, what of this teaching is really valuable, good, fits orthodox theology, is on target, whatever? And then secondly, what teaching does our community need right now, like for mm-hmm. the next three months or whatever it might be? Mm-hmm. And then lay out in a, in a simple format, uh, even a calendar that walks people through that content. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, Monday, here's, here's a five-minute Bible project video to watch on mm-hmm. Ephesians. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, here's a devotional that Sky wrote on... Mm-hmm. You know, Ephesians 1. It just go on to, and, and curate that content for people and create an, a, a learning vehicle where they can probably learn more scripture and theology and, um, and truth than they're going to get from me preaching on for 30 minutes on a Sunday morning where half the people might actually attend, right? right. So put that yeah. resource together. Then the question becomes, when we do physically gather together, what do we do? I would see that being much more focused on uh, relationship engagement, 
the Lord's table and then taking what we have learned together throughout the week and applying it to our circumstances. So I don't think it's wrong to have a monologue or to have somebody stand up for 15, 20 minutes, whatever, and then even facilitate a conversation depending on the size of the gathering to say, hey, we just looked at, uh, I don't know, First Corinthians this week and all the disunity that was experienced in that church and the divisions. Um, let's talk about divisions that we feel in our community. Let's talk about how Paul called them to respond and unity and what is that, and have a dialogue that would facilitate real learning. Hmm. So hmm. that kind of, of um, decentralized learning, but then centralized application and relationship building around the Lord's table, I think is more toward what I would prefer to do. And I would prefer to use my time if I were say the leader of this community in aggregating those resources and engaging with people directly rather than just spending half my time locked away in my office writing a sermon that mm -hmm. is, is here today and gone tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Dang. Well, I'm in. I, I think you'll need... But you've done this. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. So. Uh, well, I know, but I, this is more I want your thoughts. I know what my thoughts are. I like hearing what you're thinking, Sky. So, so why... Because I would say, and, and, and tell me if you agree with this, that sermon-centric church is a symptom of Sunday-centric church, which is a symptom of like Bible-centric church, right? And I don't know if that's the right order, but it seems like that's tapping into a much larger sort of way we've come to understand what the church is, what the church does, and what the church is for. I would amend your statement this way. Amend it. Uh Sunday-centric church is symptomatic of sermon-centric church, which is symptomatic of clergy-centered church. Oh, no. Oh, no, you did not. Yeah. Oh. And here we arrive at last about why it is that we do, why we're so invested in sermon-centric Sundays or yes. sermons or services or whatever. Yes, guy, go there. I think what began with... Um, really good intentions 500 years ago with the Protestant Reformation and having the most educated guy in town teach people the Bible, that pragmatic model of discipleship has morphed. And the reason why we are still in it is one, just the inertia of history, right? This is the way it's been done. This is the way we're going to do it. But if we can show that a monologued uh, sermon-centric model does not is not an effective model of teaching, which the evidence is overwhelming for that. If we can prove that there are more faithful and effective models for getting people to engage and learn the Bible, given the resources at our disposal today, then the question needs to be asked, why are we so committed to the sermon-centric? Preach. Ineffective. And other than, the momentum, other than the momentum of tradition, I think it's because it serves pastors best. It doesn't serve the sheep best. It serves the shepherd best. It's really, it's really gratifying to our sense of calling and purpose. Come on. Um, and I'm not saying everyone, I, goodness, I am an ordained pastor. I have been a preacher. Like I said, I was a teaching pastor. And I don't think every time I did that, it was purely because I have some insecure ego that needs to be affirmed on Sunday morning. I'm not saying that's the case with every pastor. I think, though, the idea of rethinking that model is threatening to pastors who I think in many cases we are, and I've written about this in my book, Immeasurable, I think a lot of us have been and were attracted into ministry, not because of a pure calling, but because of a desire to feel significant and important. Mm. Mm. Um, 
and the, the healthier ones of us deal with those demons and we, we exercise them and, you know, mm-hmm. mature. But I think that's a lot of it. It, it, it. I remember when I was like, maybe you've had this experience too. I was on staff at my church and we were talking to a church consultant about what we were supposed <laughs> to do around, you know, the future of our building and growth and all that. Mm-hmm. And I, the thing I appreciated about this consultant is he just cut through the crap. And, mm. and he didn't pretend that this was a spiritual conversation in any way. And <laughs> I we, love that. We looked at a blueprint of our building and he just flat out, instead of calling it a sanctuary or classrooms, <laughs> it was revenue producing space and revenue um, diminishing space or something like that. And yeah, the, yeah, sanctuary, yeah. the sanctuary is revenue producing space. Yep. And his argument was you can't build more classrooms unless you build a bigger sanctuary. Because classrooms cost money and the sanctuary produces money. Because the more butts you put in seats, the more money can come into the coffers to pay for everything else. And the model we've inherited is one that says people come on Sunday morning and that's the economic engine of these 501c3 nonprofits. And in order to keep them coming on Sunday, you need engaging music and engaging and entertaining preaching. Mm -hmm. And the moment you start attacking that model, you are disrupting the entire economic foundations of the way we do church. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I just think we have to be willing to do that because at the end of the day, our mission is not to keep churches economically sustainable. Our mission is to make disciples. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'd prefer to do that in an economically sustainable way. Mm -hmm. But um, I just, I think it's really difficult for established churches to begin to rethink these things because it would destroy their, uh, their livelihood. Well, and if I could amend your amending of my amending, mm-hmm. um, it's just easier to prepare alone, to deliver, and to walk off a stage uh, than yeah, it is to absolutely. actually disciple people and teach them how to learn themselves. Mm-hmm. It's easier on the on the people, right? Because I show up, maybe I take some notes, maybe I just sit, sit and let my mind wander, but I've done my job. And uh, I don't af- actually have to engage beyond the, the teaching, right? I'm being told this is what this is the most important thing. Here I am, boom. Um, so it's easier on them, and it's certainly easier on those of us who lead churches because uh, a lot of people right. that that lead churches don't like people. Which <laughs> dirty little secret. You know, it's, it, well, and and that's okay. That's okay. Introverts. Yeah. I'm not talking about introverts. I'm not talking about them. I'm not. I'm, that has nothing to do with personality. That just means like, it's just way easier to announce. Well, you're not even announcing, but to come teach an event, walk off, and you've done your job. Right. And it's just easy that way. The other way is way too messy, the way too involved, way too long term. There are no guaranteed outcomes. There's just right. you know, it's it's brutal. Yeah. So I see it. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so I see it as a financial absolute thing, a significance thing too, but just a very practical, like growing any other way is way harder. This is the least demanding. That's actually where I uh, began the article because this idea that uh, you can just come and listen to it. If, If you want to grow in your faith and you want to learn the Bible, you can come on Sunday morning and listen to a guy passively for 30, 40, 45 minutes, whatever. Um, that's That's been the model for 500 years, but I think that that is now 
eroding and it's eroding mm. because of technology. And I, and I mentioned having numerous conversations, particularly with millennials, they've been told that church is a place where you learn the Bible and Sunday morning is primarily about learning the Bible. And the sermon yeah. is primarily about learning the Bible. And they're saying, well, wait a minute, I can learn the Bible anytime, anywhere, because I have a smartphone and, and I have better. access to, and better. I have access to all these brilliant sermon yeah. podcasts and I have access to the, the Bible project videos and all. So totally. why, why do I have to come on Sunday morning? Yes. And so the, it's kind of the model that we believe in so much or have believed in so much is now biting us in the butt come because on. it's, it's very expensive and time consuming. Like I have to get up on Sunday morning. They expect me to show up at this building. I got to drag my kids out of bed. I got to spend, put money in the plate so that the pastor can do this. Why do I need all that again when I'm not, gain anything more here than I would get from listening to a podcast. Exactly. So the fact so that we've the, made information the point. Exactly. Yeah. Infor, we, we haven't also inherited from the Reformation and the Enlightenment this false assumption that information is transformation. Mm. And it's not. It, information is important. We have to learn the Bible. Absolutely. But yeah. I know tons of people who know the Bible really, really well, and they're complete a-holes. So... <laughs> Information by itself is not transformation. And, right. and that model of the, of the Protestant, evangelical, American church mm. um, is, is, is under attack, rightfully, and needs to be rethought. Mm -hmm. Dang. Buddy, that's such good stuff. And, and again, I mean, the point isn't, it's easy to indict. It's easy to, because um, we've both benefited from this model. Uh, of yeah. church absolutely um but but it's a deeper issue of hey what's going to carry us forward and mm -hmm. and i get the, i get asked that question all the time should i leave a church because of its teaching and my answer is unless it's unless it's erroneous or harmful or manipulative no if right. there are, if there are other components there a justice component and the one another's and the modeling of the new humanity and all of these other really important things then, then why would you ever leave for bad teaching? You, you can get good teaching whenever. There are other, and I think that to me was the very interesting question. Why else would you gather right. if it wasn't just for a 40-minute teaching? And as we began to experiment, um, it, was, it was really, really, it was freeing for me as a teacher uh, but it was really liberating for some folks in our community who just didn't, yep. who who could be much more engaged without having to sit through the thing. That's right. Um, and, and you're seeing that more and more places. Years ago, I remember yes. uh, seeing an article where it was about the house, the emerging house, house church movement. And they found yes. that one of the significant origins were actually mega churches. Mm -hmm. So the trend was people go to these mega churches and eventually they get connected into a small group. And eventually that small group and the relationships there were becoming the most important formative engagement for their faith. And then the small group looks around at each other and goes, wait a minute, why are we going to that big thing on Saturday night or Sunday morning or whatever? Right, why are we giving right. them all of our money? Like this is our church. And then they, yep. they just cut off the mega thing and engaged in digital yep. teaching very often in their small group. Um, and increasingly I'm finding millennials are saying, Hey, I know I need believers around me. I need to grow my faith, but I don't want to be a part of that big mm -hmm. event that's going on, on Sunday morning. So there is, um, I think this will happen organically. I don't think it's going to necessarily come from a top down of a bunch of leaders going, Oh, we need to rethink this model. I think the yeah. sheep, the sheep are going to go to where the pastures are green. 
Come the on. sheep are good. They're going to go to the shepherds that are gentle and meek and are, genuinely want to care for them rather than use them. Um, it's just well, we inevitable. And, and to your credit, Mike, I think what you did in your ministry and the movement toward a more home-based table-based thing is exactly what we're talking about. The fact that you are creating podcasts like this one and, and doing tons of Bible teaching in your podcast is a source for people. I'm trying to do that too. I like you still feel like I'm called to make disciples and be a shepherd and, yeah. and a teacher, yeah. but yeah. I find it more effective to do that through the conversations I have on the Holy post through my daily devotional that I'm writing through yeah. my books. Um, and, and I'm still committed to incarnate community. I still have uh, men that I meet with regularly. I still have a, a group of uh, godly people that I could not do life without. So yeah. Uh, it's just the sermon-centric Sunday big box thing right. that I believe has very diminishing returns. It, absolutely. It is decreasingly relevant for a decreasing number of people. And so, and I think it's got a lot of leaders panicking and they're trying to hang on to that. And that's, that's part right. of the reaction I think I've gotten on Twitter and from other places with people who are <laughs> stridently trying to defend it. <laughs> yes, Guy. Well, one of the things I really appreciate about you, bro, is... Um, that you're willing to be a, to explore the fringe because there really is, uh, I think a lot of us out there are trying to interpret what's happening for, for the folks coming behind us. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. we're familiar enough with baby boomer stuff that we can be sympathetic in ways that other people can't. Right. I understand. I was nurtured in that. I, God used that. Um, but I'm super sympathetic to the the impulses and values of the folks coming behind us. And so I kind of feel like the role of Gen Xers these days exactly. in the kingdom is just to interpret. Yeah. You know, like there, there is some good, there's some good stuff going on that needs to be kept. And there's some Gen stuff Xers, we're, we're kind of the, the third culture generation, right? We're, the, oh, we're totally caught, caught between the two. Um, and I think I think millennials are ridiculous in some regards, and and yet I think they're they're right on target. And I look at my parents' generation, and I'm going, oh my gosh, has any generation screwed things up more? Yeah. And yet, and yet, there are things about the older generation and many who mentored me that I am oh. totally indebted for. Yes. And two, so yeah, we're caught. We're that sandwich generation now. Yeah, it really is. And so I just have huge respect. My again, I was talking to my friend right before we interviewed, and he's like, I'm so glad you have Sky. Because um, it is a lonely, sometimes it's a lonely kind of thing to be wondering these things out loud. And um, so anyway, I appreciate you, my friend. I am um, going to let you go. We've been an hour in, which is always never enough time. But I'm so proud of you, bro. Thank you. Um, and then and then you're, give us your website, of course. Uh, the easiest is just go to withgoddaily.com. Yeah, that's the devotional. You'll find out more about the app and all that stuff, correct? Yep. That's yep. where to go. And, and if you've never read Scott and I, I'm not doing this for a promotional fee, but if you've, if you've never <laughs> read Sky's book with, he wrote a book called with what, 10 years ago, maybe shorter uh, it was than that? 20, 2011, I think 2011. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I thought it was by far one of the most helpful, um, ways of capturing the relational aspects of Jesus following that often, sermon-centric churches don't emphasize so so anyway highly recommend that resource as well my friend you are thank awesome. you mike and Thanks i can't wait to time. have you back on our show boom holy post